I'm Eric Martin. Welcome to Feeding Your Passion, the podcast for the entrepreneur and the food connoisseur. I'll be your host for our exclusive VIP dining experience where you'll meet top restaurateurs and other special guests. First, you'll get to know our celebrity restaurant owner, enjoy an amazing front-of-the-house virtual culinary experience, and then wrap up by learning key action steps, insights, and inspiration for thriving in the food service industry. Now, let's get rolling. Okay, Passion Nation, welcome to episode one of Feeding Your Passion, the podcast for the entrepreneur and the food connoisseur. I'm your host, Eric Martin, and I'm excited to be here today with our celebrity guest, Chef Andy Gonzalez. He is the chef partner of Steinbeck's Ale House, the companion in Oakhurst Market. Chef Andy, before I give a full and proper introduction, say what's up to Passion Nation. Good evening, Passion Nation. How y'all doing? All right. Fantastic. Uh, we're excited to have Chef Andy here today. Chef Andy Gonzalez is the chef partner at Steinbeck's Ale House, the companion in Oakhurst Market in the Decatur, Alabama, or Decatur, Atlanta area. He brings with him an extensive amount of experience in Atlanta's culinary scene to create the distinctive comfort food that is his hallmark. In addition to his culinary skills, Gonzalez also benefits from a professional level of knowledge of beer and wine to assist all of his businesses. And I think there are a few other bullet points we could add to his expertise. Uh, when you look at his social media pages and uh, menu items and menu pictures, he, he could also be a professional photographer, marketing <laughs> specialist. And uh, no doubt he shared with me uh, prior to starting the interview that he went to art school and it shows up in the pictures on his website. So fantastic. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that scab, I don't know that scab would claim me, but I appreciate the, uh, the shout out. <laughs> absolutely. No doubt. I've seen it. So, um, great. We will get rolling. So what do you want our front of the house VIPs to know about your restaurant and your unique experience that they may not know. Well, um, uh, you know, Steinbeck's is a is a is a pub. It's essentially a local. It's um, very hands on. It's very personal. It's very specific. Uh, if you like craft beer, if you like uh, uh, low key, uh, hyper tasty, properly prepared food. Uh, if you like people, then Steinbeck's is probably for you. Um, the companion's a little different. It's more a uh, big tent kind of picture. It's more open. It's more uh, neutral as far as who would enjoy it. Um, uh, it's brand new, com- uh, just just uh, sort of kind of opened given COVID. Uh, and Oakhurst Market is a, is a very specific place that, that, that operates in Oakhurst, uh, the Oakhurst neighborhood of Decatur, Georgia. Um, they have, we have like a hand cut steaks, like an old school butcher counter and, uh, beer and wine and, uh, prepared foods and that kind of thing. It's like a miniaturized whole foods essentially. So they're very disparate places. Uh, you couldn't go to one and expect the other two to be anything like it. Um, so that's probably the most specific thing about the three is that they're completely different. So. Fantastic. Fantastic. Very unique and individual and, uh, 
Yeah, I'm excited about visiting all three of them in Atlanta. So uh, what what is the most popular item on your menu, on one of your menus at one of your restaurants, but most popular most popular item? Describe that offering for us. Uh, well, I mean, uh, that's that's easily the Tower of Power. The Tower of Power is a is an amalgam of uh, all the burgers I grew up eating. Uh, I remember remember eating hamburgers that used to be big. They were big and messy and delicious. And then about maybe about ten years ago, there was this whole wave of these little teeny tiny double stack burgers that are very petite, very chef driven. They usually had like American cheese, mayonnaise, and pickles on them. They were delicious but they were very um, compact. So I developed a burger called the Tower of Power, which is like a water burger, In-N-Out, and, uh, and McDonald's all jammed into one single burger. And it was featured on the cover of Atlanta Magazine about six or seven years ago. I was ranked one of the best burgers in the city. And so uh, it is our number one seller, both at Steinbeck's and at now at the Companion. Uh, it is, uh, it's two, four, uh, two four, four ounce patties, uh, two slices of American cheese, apple with smoked bacon, lettuce, tomato, and onion uh, tossed in Million Island sauce, which is uh, our own Thousand Island sauce, but I call it Million because I think it's a thousand times better than Thousand Island. And then we serve it up on a four-inch brioche, toasted brioche bun, and it is messy and decadent, and you probably should have a nap after you're done, um, but it, it's yeah. really our, our most popular item. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, I saw pictures of that and the tower of power uh definitely looks like a must try menu item it looked uh incredible and it's uh it was called the, it was called the double double but uh i got okay. a cease and desist from in and out i had no idea they owned the word double and double because i always uh, wondered i always wondered if so like say uh lebron james goes for a double double does do they send him a letter i'm just curious it, <laughs> exactly. It's like that used uh, all the time and that it would be free game. But uh, if there's involved, you never know, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So great. So what is your favorite item on the menu? Take us there. Tell us uh, the story behind that item um, and kind of how you developed it. Uh, that's probably our, I mean, our, uh, what my favorite item on the menu, uh, it's like, uh, it's like picking which one of your children you like the most. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, is it, which one is it? Is it, is it the tall one or, you know, no, I mean, I, I would say the most, uh, the most, uh, uh, the one with the best story is probably the Chinese breakfast. Uh, we have a dish called Chinese breakfast and it's not called Chinese breakfast because I've been to China or that it's particularly very Chinese. Uh, it's, it's essentially bacon and eggs, but done in an Asian way. So I, I'd gone to an Asian restaurant and pork belly and leeks is very classic. They do it together all the time at Chinese restaurants, and it's delicious. But I thought I could uh, maybe slightly improve it, so I took it upon myself to uh, tinker with pork belly, and then we wilted some leeks and made some jasmine rice, and made house made chili oil, and then it comes with soy sauce and uh, a, a, a sunny side up egg. So it's very simple. It's essentially bacon and eggs with leeks and rice, but it, but it the the sum of the parts. It is 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 much larger. Uh, uh, it's uh, really quite nice. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, it sounds it sounds dumb. It sounds very dumb and 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 basic, but it is quite tasty. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's the genius of a chef, right? To take the sum of the parts and make it greater 
Yeah, uh, that's to, that, that's the yeah. thing. It's like what you have to deliver. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, the, nobody wants to eat. I've never understood restaurants that say home cooking on them. Like, I don't, I don't want to eat home cooking. Like, I, I can cook at home. I want you to Very delight me. I want you to delight me. <laughs> You're, that's your job is to do things that I can't do. So, yeah. That is great. And, and there's no doubt the Atlanta culinary scene is very competitive and uh, it takes a lot of creative expertise and passion in order to continue to deliver uh, in the Atlanta market. No doubt about Certainly. it. So um, what is another key item that we must try when we come visit you at one of your restaurants? Uh, tell us about that item, whether it's a appetizer item, a, an entree or a dessert. Uh, well, I don't do dessert as a policy. Uh, I, okay. we're, we're, <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, it's just never, it's just never been my forte. Um, but, uh, as, as far as something that you probably, uh, should try that's on our menu, uh, I like the, our Darwin. It's our fried chicken sandwich. It's called the Darwin because I felt like it was an evolution. I, uh, of what we had done in sand, sandwichry, I guess if that's a word. Uh, so it's a, a buttermilk, uh, fried crispy chicken thigh. With roasted Brussels sprouts, uh, nuoc cham, which is a Vietnamese um, sauce made with shallots, fish sauce, a uh, bit of rice wine vinegar, garlic, chili. Uh, uh, so the Brussels sprouts are roasted and tossed in the nuoc cham, and then those are tossed with uh, torn uh, mint and Thai basil. And all of that goes on top of the crispy chicken thigh on a bun, and then it's all topped with roasted jalapeno aioli. Um to finish so it's like Amazing. this big decadent um yeah yeah it's it's really tasty yeah but you wouldn't normally if you saw if you saw that uh, a sandwich had roasted brussels sauce on it you wouldn't immediately buy it but i i encourage people to try it it's very different yeah. looking at the picture of that menu item i would agree it looks absolutely amazing <laughs> so, uh, that sounds great so Share with us a key front of the house strategy or core value uh, or behavior geared toward maximizing each patron's experience. When you talk to your team and, and instill those fundamentals into them to create that amazing experience for the food connoisseur when they come in, what, what uh, share with us a key strategy, core value or behavior? Um, I encourage our staff to, uh, identify with the people who are there. It's very, it, empathy is the most important thing for a staff to have when it comes to people dining out. Um, you know, when it, I mean, like in, when the cooks are cooking, I tell them to cook like your mom's going to eat it. You know, I mean, cook every dish as if somebody you want to impress is going to consume the dish. Don't look at the food as if it's just something to put up in the window and get out the door. It's not just a task. It's something that someone's going to actually ingest into their bodies. And when it comes to the front of the house, uh, you have to teach, you have to teach your people to treat everyone with a, an open mind. You know, people have bad days and sometimes they come in to search out delight and that's what we're there for. So, if you can have empathy for maybe what they're arriving with, because everybody arrives with a foreign load, everyone who walks into your door uh, has experienced the world. And the world right now is not exactly peaches and cream. So 
you have to understand that they're under stress and they've come to your place of business to relieve that stress and have a good time. And that's our job, not just to deliver food and beverage, but to, to bring delight to their day. Absolutely. And that's why you've been successful in the food service industry for so long is uh, you, you bring, and it sounds like you've built your businesses on a foundation of food, passion, and service to serve each one individually. And I, I know that in, I've got three boys and in raising kids, I can say, Hey, go mow the yard. Or I can say, go trim the yard and they will check it off their list. But if I say, Hey, keep it, keep it, you know, lean and green and and keep it clean and, and give them the result. And it sounds like that's what you do with your team. You don't give them a list of tasks but a standard to, to perform to. And, and uh, that makes a difference. So that's, uh, I, I wish I would have talked to you about that a few years ago before I raised my kids. They're, they're 16 to 20 now, but I think that's a great piece of advice. No doubt. <laughs> great. Well, you've and got, you, Chuck, uh, you, I mean, I, I, I mean, we, we were both young men, uh, 16 to 20, you've still got at least uh, 10 to 12 years on the 20 year old. So you got a lot of you got a lot of time to be involved. <laughs> That's right. Plenty of good seeds to sow. So well, fantastic. Well, let's shift gears. Uh, that was our front of the house virtual VIP dining experience, and uh, I know that our our listeners are excited about coming to your um, operations and concepts in Atlanta and trying many of those menu items. Absolutely amazing. Let's shift gears to the back of the house segment. Um, and for those aspiring restaurant owners or food service professionals or supply chain specialists within food service, um, we'll move on to the back of the house segment. So what is one thing, um, Chef Andy, that you feel like you've done really well in the development of your restaurants? I think, uh, I, I think our, uh, my menu development has been very strong and my ability to tie in our menu development uh, with our beverage program has been really solid. Um, but I think um, uh, of all the things I probably have done the best when it comes to the development of our, our, our two places is that I found people to work with who do things that I don't know how to do. Um, I am a, I am an, I, I mean, not, not to be too uh, uh, braggadocious, but I'm a really good cook. Like I, I know how to make food at this point. And if sure. you didn't, after 20 years, I'd probably be barking up the wrong tree, I'd say. So that part is what you're good at. And you learn after that time, right? Yeah, it's done. I mean, I, I know what I'm doing along those lines. But there are certain things that I'm not the best at. And you need to find I – like, I like the fact that I've been able to find people who are operators with different skill sets than I have. And I have partners, and I have um, managers, and I have cooks, and I have waiters, and I have people who are not only – loyal but hardworking and they do things they have skill sets that i do not possess and that is important you can't do everything you can't be everything in this business you have to rely on yeah that is i would agree that is such a blessing to find people and and to know and not feel like you've got to be great at everything but to know what you're good at after that period of time and then find people that are great at those other things and uh i mean i suppose is- there are people who are great at everything i'm just not one of them and if 
they are great at everything, then I take my hat off to them. But I will <laughs> say that at some point, they're going to break down. Like you, this business yeah, is so hard and it takes so many hours of your day and it takes so much focus and you have to be on every day. There's no, there's no half, there's no halfway. Right. So you need somebody to, you can rely on to take care of the things that maybe you're not quite as good at. And that's, and that's important. So. That's great. Yeah. Fantastic. So what menu item has you been your highest volume item? If you think back over your years and, Items on your menu, highest volume uh, or profit generator today. Tell us a story about that item and maybe what you did to promote it and, and you know, raise it to that status. Um, let's see. Probably our smoked wings are, are I mean, um, profit margin is um, on wings is always a little dubious because they they climb and they fall precipitously depending on um when college football starts or when the Super Bowl oh, is, or, <laughs> um, no. uh, but, um, yeah, the, I mean, that, that's probably our highest volume item. The market makes my, my smoked wings. Steinbeck makes my smoked wings. The companion makes my smoke, smoked wings. In fact, it's the only thing that probably all three businesses make aside from our pimento cheese. Like, um, you know, the, those smoked wings, I, I, I remember arriving at Steinbeck's and, you know, lighting up a bullet smoker in 92 degree heat in Georgia and, and smoking those out back in the, in the back lot myself. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, those, those have generated a good amount of profit and they're certainly a high volume item. Um, but that's uh-huh. just, you know, that's just, uh, something that, that I used to make with my own two hands, like back when I was, uh, reclaiming Steinbeck's from the, it was in a bit of a, a nosedive when I took it over. I was a, a fine dining guy back then. Um, and it kind of burnt out and ended up at Steinbeck's and it, it's been a good decision, but those wings are near and dear to my heart, certainly over the long haul. Fantastic. It's great to find, yeah, menu items that stand the test of time and on three restaurants menus. Uh, that is great. Fantastic. So what is one thing you now know that you wish you would have known when you started your food service journey? <laughs> Just one thing. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I wish I wish I would have I wish I would have known that it was going to be hard that yeah. I, I really wish if I could go back and talk to me when I was a kid, when I was like 20, you know, five, 26, 27, I probably would have included that it's really hard that it's and it's not always easy and you're going to want to give up. But it's worth it's worth it. At the end of the day, it's worth it. But it's that, those first two and a half, three years were the some of the hardest work I've ever done, and for nothing, for pennies, you know, nine fifty wow. an hour as a line cook is is nothing. Try living in a in a metropolitan area at nine fifty an hour. You'll you know, it's just not it's just not feasible. You know, I was hustling volleyball tournaments on the weekends to make ends meet. That's then that was hard. And there was any number of times that I wanted to quit. But uh, I guess I was only qualified to do this. So here I am. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and fighting through those times makes us stronger to, to allow us to succeed uh, later. And I know you've put a lot of smiles on a lot of people's faces, serving them and, and uh, meeting that unique niche uh, that, you, that only you can do. 
So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, everything takes a lot of hard work, doesn't it? I mean, we romanticize when we're starting out in a profession or career what we think it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, and, you read, uh, you, you know, you read Kitchen Confidential or you, I read Kitchen Confidential. It came out the year after I became a line cook and Iron Chef was out and, you know, those were, those were the things that you thought you'd be doing. Or I thought I would be doing. It, it didn't, it did, the nuts and bolts of the business wasn't immediately apparent back then. And I, I think even now, like, I, I think even now there's even more romanticism in it. And, and, and pe- people are trying to change the, the way the business works. But the idea that you can bypass the profit margin of how a restaurant works is difficult to understand, especially for somebody as old as I am. Um, maybe there's a, a future that doesn't, involve how the system works as it is right now and and everybody's going to work 40 hours a week and somebody's going to end up making money but uh, until somebody shows me that system I, I i'm i'm i would be i'm all for it if it's there if it's out there but right. uh and i don't know that success uh happens in any industry that way i believe there's a period of time where you put in a lot of work and get stronger and get good at your craft and yeah. uh yeah so i think that's the path and a lot of people want to try to bypass it but i don't think you can shortcut shortcut success so um take us to your worst most challenging moment as a restaurateur tell us that story and maybe some key things you learned through that process uh well uh i took over a place called um the standard uh oh probably about uh, eight years ago, Steinbeck's had, I had taken over Steinbeck's. I, I was at, I was, I was a, a chef at a Jean George restaurant called Spice Market that was in the W Hotel in Atlanta. And unfortunately that, uh, that job probably nearly drove me insane. So uh, when I left, I took over Steinbeck's and as a reclamation program, uh, project and turned it from an oyster bar into the sort of gastro pub that it is now. And it had succeeded, and so my partners decided it was a good idea if we tried the same reclamation project project with a place called The Standard, which was uh, on Memorial Drive in Atlanta. And I walk into The Standard and turn it into a place called Young Augustine's. Uh, Augustine was the patron saint of brewers, so it's a, a, a gastro pub like Steinbeck's 2.0, bigger, stronger, more more beer, more complicated food, bigger kitchen. Um and that was unfortunately at, at the be- very, be- very beginning of the economic downturn. Um, you're talking about like just after Obama's elected, the, the economy's bottoming out. Um, and I walked into Augustine's assuming that my talent and passion was going to be enough. Um, and it's a very hard lesson to learn that uh, economic factors and location are still important, no matter how good you are or how good you think you are. Um, there's still, there are still barriers to your success, even if you feel that you paid enough dues. And even if you feel like you are competent, you must, uh, look yourself in the mirror and say, maybe this is not going to work out this time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was very difficult. Because I had I had met with a, a good amount of success. I had I had uh, I'd been broken by the fine dining business, but I had I had persevered, and and Steinbeck's was doing well, and 
I just assumed I could do it again. And that was a, that was a difficult lesson. But. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I guess with that has come wisdom that you bring into your uh, next endeavors. Yeah. There's economic trends uh, make an impact when we're planning and setting goals and things. Absolutely. It's a great, important lesson to learn uh, for all of us. So what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing today that you would like to see inspire new products in the food service industry or innovation in the food service industry? We'll probably have many industry experts listening to this podcast. So it's an opportunity to help drive industry innovation, whether it be on to go or food products or technology? Is there anything that hits you that uh, is a challenge that you would like to see solved? Uh, I mean, we, we spend a lot of money on to go packaging, a, a lot of money, especially as things are right now. Um, I mean, but uh, there's no real, I mean, I don't know how much innovation there is in that. Like, I, I mean, I would love to see to-go packaging that's biodegradable and doesn't cost, you know, 50 cents a container or, yeah, I mean, it's because you have to pass that, 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 uh, that, that price, that, that money onto the customer. There's no way you can float that every time out. Um, and the customer wants to see biodegradable materials or materials that aren't going to harm the environment. And the, 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 the restaurant owner needs to save money on their margin. Um, but they're beholden to the customer, to the guest to make sure that they feel good about taking that food and not being wasteful. So I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know what that would look like or, or how it could be done, but something that contains your food and, and doesn't cost an arm and a leg and that people feel good about would be nice. But um, yeah. I, I'd imagine the people making disposables right now are killing it. Like, I mean, it's just, I mean, we go through, you know, three or four cases of to-go boxes a week. And that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So, lot but, of money. Exactly. I do think that's a fair request. I think competition will drive that as, as more, you know, and there's been a major trend toward biodegradable, you know, to go packaging. And as more people enter that, I do think competition, I mean, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think that's a fair request. So um, that sounds great. So what is your favorite cooking technique or preparation method for serving a solid menu item and why? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I like the, uh, I like searing things. Um, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the Meyer process, the, 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 the flavor that you get off of a hot steel or cast iron skillet or a flat top, um, that searing of, of items, like my mother-in-law always gives me a hard time because when I cook, it, it all, it always creates smoke. Like I cook high heat. Like and there's a, there's never a point where I'm like gently cooking something. Like when I cook, it's, it's high heat. It's very fast. It's very fiery. If I had a walk pit in my house, that would delight me. So the the that high heat, high intensity, rapid searing, and then a little bit of soignet based with butter to finish, like that's that's my favorite thing in the world. Like that oh. that I'm like uh, the steak is in the pan. You poke it to make sure what the temperature is. You baste it with a bit of butter. You finish it in the salamander. You put it on the on the on the uh, board. You let it rest so it doesn't bleed out. 
and then you slice it and it's perfect. Like that, that kind of high heat searing or broiling is my favorite. Yeah. That is perfect. I think, uh, I think the food connoisseur that wants to replicate a menu item at home, it's those things to learn and know. It's the cooking, uh, techniques and preparation methods that make a difference. That was, that was awesome. Um, what, just real quick, what platform or medium do you feel is the best investment of your marketing dollars? Instagram, because it's free. It's a hundred. It's a hundred percent free. That's the best. I have not. I have. Uh, we have people call us. I mean, we're independent. We're little. Um, sure. Simex is little. The companion is larger, but it's still not an enormous place. Um, uh, people call us all the time and ask us about a marketing budget, and I don't. I don't have a marketing budget. I have a. I have a budget yeah. to buy food and booze and I have a budget to pay my employees and I have a budget that, that pays all my overhead. And then, then whatever's left over, my partner's split. So I don't have a marketing budget per se. So I have learned out of necessity how to take really sexy food photos and put them on Instagram because it's free. And my, the, and the companion has 1200 followers and it's only been open. Mm, 60 days, 65 days. So uh, social media with all of its um, trials and tribulations and all of its snarkiness and all of its weirdness is, as far as I'm concerned, the best uh, money pound for pound because it costs no money. Get a, get a right. solid iPhone and learn how to take pictures. Those pictures you've taken are absolutely perfect, first class. I mean, Thanks. food artist, you spend – Tens of thousands of dollars to get food art. Your pictures are every bit as good as many of the food pictures I've seen over the years. They look that's, a, that's, a, that's an iPhone, uh, iPhone uh, 11 Pro uh, and yeah. Instagram. That's it. That's all. Right. That iPhone 11 Pro camera is amazing. No oh, doubt. yeah. So, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. One last question before we move into the final crumbs, which is going to be our lightning round. Share with us a key back-of-the-house strategy. Uh, or behavior that's geared toward delivering maximum quality and consistency every dish? Uh, uh, well, I that earlier, I guess. Yeah, I mean, talking to your- cook, cook for somebody you care about. Everything, everything that you touch and you send out needs to be good. I used to have a chef that's used to, that said, make it nice or make it twice. And that's exactly what, I mean, that's a, that's brutal and that's old school because I'm old, but that's the way it is. You you make it nice or you just make it twice. Like just make it good the first time and we won't have a problem. And for the most part, my cooks understand that I don't want the food. I want the food on time. And on time, it, 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 that's a pretty open window. I would rather the food be... 45 seconds to a minute and 45 seconds or two minutes late, then it be not good. I would rather the food take a little bit longer because the problem you get for, with, with a customer, a guest, waiting an extra two minutes is not that much of a problem. But the problem you get for when the food is rushed and not good is a much, much larger problem. So Absolutely. take a little more time. Make sure it's tasty. Make sure it's delicious. Make sure it's the right temp, and then send it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to yell at you if you're a little bit uh, late. In fact, I'm probably not going to yell at you at all. But I'm. I do expect things to hit the hit the um, hit the window 
on a good pace because, you know, if that stacks up, the next one's going to stack up. But everything needs to be delicious. And that's the, that's the goal. That's the, that's the, the golden ring. Everything needs to be delicious. So. Perfect. Building it to a result. That sounds great. So we're now um, ready for the final crumbs segment. So one of my favorite sayings is I'd rather have a crumb from the table of a winner than a full meal from the table of a loser. So these are going to be nuggets that are going to be important to our listeners. And this is a lightning round. So just whatever comes to your mind first, and we'll crank through this and, and uh, as we get close to wrapping up. So what is the one thing that you're the most passionate about today? My family. Fantastic. What is the best advice you've ever received? Sometimes when the problem is everybody else, the problem is you. What book would you recommend to Passion Nation and why? Uh, Down and Out in London and Paris by Orwell, I think it is. It's a phenomenal um, account of how kitchens used to run. Um, he's a plancher, in, uh, a plancher uh, essentially a dishwasher in Paris, and it's um, uh, amazing how he um, lays out uh, the regimented, almost militaristic approach of old kitchens. It's fantastic read. Great. What is a culinary resource or a technology resource that you think our listeners could benefit from? Uh, I mentioned Instagram and the iPhone 11 Pro already, but a culinary or technology, uh, culinary resource. Um, you know, I mean, I would probably check out LaRousse or some old cookbooks. Like it's a fascinating how much you can learn by learning how to make like your mother sauces, your bechamels, your uh, emulsions. Uh, you know, if you, everyone these days is looking for like the new technique or the, you know, the, what kind of protein powder or what kind of, uh, uh, starch I can put into this to make it, uh, bind and, and set it up. But if you go back into the old, old ways and learn how to make a roux or, you know, those things, those are, those are invaluable techniques. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of technology to add outside of that. Perfect. That sounds great. Share one uh, piece of advice for food service sales professionals that call on and work with restaurateurs that could help them earn trusted advisor status uh, with food service professionals they're calling on and working with. Um, don't, just don't, 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 I guess, uh, make an appointment. That, that's the first, <laughs> that would be my right. first. That would be my first and most important bit of advice to anyone who sells food for a living. Make an appointment. Do not drop by and expect me to stop what I'm doing to talk to you. You're, you're telling me that your time is more important than my time, and that is not going to inspire me to buy things. Make an appointment. Absolutely. Sounds great. Okay, we are going to wrap up. Uh, with the sweet course, we have absolutely enjoyed our time with you today, uh, Chef Andy. Um, Likewise. Give, a, give us one final piece of sweet advice. What's one final piece of advice that you'd like to share with our listeners as we wrap up? Uh, you know, I mean, if you're in the food service business, just um, just be prepared to work, be prepared to work hard. Uh, uh, do your best to uh, – follow your heart to 
make sure that you produce something that makes you proud of who you are and, and what you do and, and try to do your best to present that to your guests and, 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 and make some sort of connection between you and the people who come in. I mean, you know, profitability and profit margins are very important because uh, if you don't meet them, then you won't stay in business. But at the same time, um, without passion and hard work and belief, none of it really matters. Absolutely. That sounds great. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us today at the VIP table uh, with Chef Andy Gonzalez. Please join us again. And in the meantime, go be great, Passion Nation, and, and look Chef Andy up at Steinbeck's Ale House, The Companion, and Oakhurst Market in the Decatur, Atlanta area. Thank you, everybody, for being with us today. And uh, we're out. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe. Also, please visit our website, feedingyourpassion.com, to sign up for our email list so that we can deliver each episode right to your inbox and so that you can give us feedback on our content because we want to be dialed in to what you're passionate about. Until next time, go be great, Passion Nation.